Good morning. If you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. We'll be reading from verse 1 through verse 14. Genesis 17, 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now we turn to the New Testament, to the book of Romans, chapter 4. We'll be just reading Romans 4, verse 9 through 12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had made by faith when he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Since the reading of God's holy word, let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for speaking to us from heaven and having these words recorded and preserved through the generations for us and for our children. 
for the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And we thank you for this, for this holy word, O Lord, from which we can know you and your truth. And now seal it into our hearts, help us to walk according to it, and to uh, learn from you, O Lord. May the uh, thoughts and meditations of our hearts today be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I think it's obvious that it's a great privilege for me to be here and to bring the word of God to you. I think it's also obvious why I picked this passage particularly the Genesis 17 passage, which is one of the main passages we use for uh, instructing people in why we are baptizing our infant children. It is a distinctive of Reformed theology that we understand baptism to be a covenant sign and seal. This is in our confession, the catechisms. This is not a uh, minor thing to us, but is actually pretty central to our understanding of baptism uh, at all, both for adults and infant children. Uh, but particularly for infant children, there's, uh, there's a teaching in here which is relevant particularly when you join it with uh, other teaching of the scripture, both Old and New Testaments, and you start making connections, uh, and then you will see uh, why we are doing what we're doing today. This is not something that we have taken lightly and have assumed to be the teaching of scripture, but we have studied these things over the last several centuries, uh, and we, not, not me, children, I'm not that old. But it is it's something that we've inherited and we've traced the uh, teaching from our forefathers and the faith on these things. Uh, and yes, many of us have studied these things very carefully uh, and hold to these things not because they're our tradition, but because they're the teaching of Scripture, which is the reason why we do anything uh, in the church. Um, but when you understand these things, they become very precious, both to you as adults and then as you uh, train up your children in the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm going to talk about one thing in particular, and that is in this passage and going into the Romans passage, What's really important about baptism to understand, I think, in our day, is what God is doing in baptism. This is something that is not often understood, that God is doing something in baptism. And that's really what is primary to understand baptism. Now, I'm talking about any baptism of anyone. Um, what is he doing? Because what we find in scripture is he's doing something. And in some traditions, when you look at baptism, it's only what we're doing. There are some traditions that only believe that, that it's what we're doing. And they'll talk about infant dedication, for example. Now. Because I'm focusing on what God is doing, please don't misunderstand. We are doing something. 
The parents are bringing their children forward for baptism. If you were an adult being baptized, you are doing something. <laughs> so I'm not denying that. That is also something that happens in baptism and is essential. So I'm not denying that, but just because of time, I'm only going to focus on what God is doing. Because that, to me, is less understood and is something that's really important and, and really makes what we're doing have meaning. So here is, is uh, starting on that issue of what God is doing. You start with circumcision. So we're going to start there with the Genesis passage and work through this passage a little bit as time allows and understand how God is teaching us about what he does in this sacrament. Now, first of all, we're going to assume, for the sake of argument, that you are paying attention to that Colossians 2 passage that the pastor read earlier. Because that Colossians 2 passage did something that is really important for our argument here. And that is, it associated circumcision and baptism. The one takes over from the other. That was, that was what that Colossians 2 demands you to understand. The circumcision of Christ has value for you when you're baptism, when you're baptized. So baptism today is the entrance sacrament to the covenant of grace that replaces circumcision because Christ fulfilled circumcision when he was cut off on the cross. And then he then gives us the institution of baptism to continue on an initiation sacrament into the covenant of grace, which has the same meaning as circumcision. It has the same value. The two are identical in value and meaning, different form. So there's an administration of entrance into the covenant of grace, circumcision in the Old Testament, that is replaced by a different administration of that same uh, act that God promises uh, in baptism. So that's assumed here when we work on circumcision. So when you're looking at circumcision, you, sh you should start thinking baptism. Because that's where we're at. But this is where it's initially given to Abraham. And you, you start having foundational principles that the Lord is building on leading to our day. And that's what we're de dealing with. Now, first of all, in verse 2... Some of the language here is um, a little unusual when you're dealing with covenant. There is actually a technical language with covenant uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, it's like any area of study or work. You'll have, you know, lingo that you're used to and, you, you know, it means something to you. It really doesn't matter what area of study or work you're a part of. You have this lingo that makes kind of a shorthand. Well, verse 2, it says... Uh, following up from one, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, may multiply you greatly. It sounds like God is making a new covenant. Well, uh, you won't be surprised to learn that chapter 17 follows chapter 15. 
This is why I'm here today to teach you 15, 16, 17. It's, you know, it's, I, like, I like teaching things that are true. So that's why I do that. Uh, so chapter 17, chapter 15, God made the covenant. The covenant's already made with Abraham. That's where, remember, the smoking pot goes through the cut animals. That's chapter 15. So then he appears in 17 after that and says, I'm going to make my covenant with you. Well, it's not make. It actually is the word give. And it's, it has the effect of something like, I'm going to issue this to you. I'm going to now give you the reality of what that covenant is. And notice it's God's covenant. I'm going to issue to you my covenant. I'm going to initiate this. And here it is. And really, he's really talking about, I'm going to now give you my covenant in circumcision. Now, he uses that word give here because there's a little bit of wordplay going on. In verse 5, it says, No longer will your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have given you, it says make again, but it's the same word, give. I have given you to be the father of a multitude of nations. I'm going to give you my covenant because I've given you to be the father of a multitude of nations. That's what Paul sees in Romans 4. See, Paul saw that. He saw what is said right there, and he says, Abraham is given to the nations as the fountain of this blessing. He's the source of this blessing, and we're his children. He's a father of a multitude of nations. And God says, I'm going to give you to the nations as their father. And that's what this covenant is about from chapter 15. God is now saying, I'm going to show you what that covenant was really all about. And then you have another one in verse 8. In verse 8 it says, And I will give you, here we do have it translated that way, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan. So it's, it's that land promise, which as we know from Hebrews, when he heard this land promise, he wasn't thinking of Canaan or of an earthly land eventually. He learned eventually that God had a promised land of new creation glory. And that's, that's what is now uh, the, the second wordplay going on. I'm going to give you to the nations, and I'm giving this land to you and to your children. Now, in the course of this passage... There's something going on here that you really, it's important not to miss. And that is uh, the covenant that God is issuing is identified with the sign of the covenant. Now, if you, you go through this, going still in Genesis 17, uh, verse 11, it says, You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So this circumcision is a sign of the covenant. And a sign is something which is a visible marker 
of this invisible thing. Because covenant is essentially seen in the sacrament surrounding it, but the, the covenant is a bond. It is a bond like marriage is a bond. Two, two parties are joined together in an oath-bound relation. That's what a covenant is. And you have this bond. So this is why when we're married, we typically in America carry around a sign of that bond with the rings. That's the sign of the bond. Uh, and so you have this external marker of the bond. So circumcision was a sign that God gave to mark, I'm committed to you. It's like marriage. I am yours and you are mine. Here, what sign do I have of that? Circumcision. This is the mark. This is the sign. And I honor that sign, the Lord says. This is a sign I give to you. And therefore, that bond you can count on. It's an oath-bound bond. And God took the oath in chapter 15. When he passed between those animals, it was God taking the oath. I swear, that bond is what I'm committed to. And I will suffer the penalty if this bond is broken, well, it turns out he suffers a penalty for our breaking of the covenant. This, of course, is the cross. Now, this, that's, the, that's the issue of the sign which we have here. Uh, we'll come back to the seal in a moment. But I want you to see in verses 7 and 8 in particular what this bond entails and what we call the formula of the covenant. Verse 7 and 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. This word establish is another, it's a different term. It's not give. It's establish. And what it means is I will uh, fulfill, my tr fulfill my side of this bond. I will act according to my commitment to you. That's what he's saying. I will act accordingly. You can count on me to fulfill my obligation in this bond. So established doesn't mean start up a new covenant. It means I will keep it. And, you know, you will see it when I act accordingly. So I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And here's, here's the formula. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. That's the bond. Here's what God is committing to do. I will be your God and you will be my people. Notice how it goes in verse 8. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. The God of your children after you. I am yours and you are mine, and your children are mine. Now we hear that today in contexts that are kind of scary, right? I won't make mention of that further. But it is kind of scary to hear that certain people around today claim my children as theirs. Uh, no, 
you can help my children, <laughs> but they're mine. <laughs> Hello. I won't talk to you about diapers. And <laughs> you want to take my children? Let's talk diapers. <laughs> and all the other stuff that parents do for their children. But God says, your children are mine. What does that mean? I claim them to be part of my church family. And I will grant to them the blessing of Abraham, which is the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. I promise that to them. If they confess me, they are mine. And until then, they are mine. They grow up with that promise before them. And they can count on that. This is why these little ones are here today in this service. They belong here. This is their heritage. This is their right. They have a right to be among us. Yes, they may get a little wiggly and squeaky. I don't care. And I hope you don't care either. I hope that you have this overwhelming conviction that those kids belong here. Because they do. Why, how, how do I know? Because I am the God of you and your children after you. Those are my children. They belong in the company of the saints. The, the word of God belongs to them. They need to see the sacrament of the Lord's Supper administered and know that that table is set for them when they come of age to where it's of benefit to them. This is theirs. This is their heritage because the blood of Christ belongs to them as a promise from God. And this is, this is now we get to the seal. Now we get to why in Romans 4, Paul interprets the Galatians passage. He actually quoted Galatians 15 right before verse 9 in, in, in Romans. Did I say Galatians? Excuse me. Romans 4. In Romans 4, he had just quoted the Genesis 15 passage about God, the righteousness being imputed to Abraham through faith. And then, he, and then he launches into that little important section of Romans 4, 9 through 12, where he says it's a sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness according to faith. Now, I hope you saw what Paul is doing. That's not a ceremony that's empty. It cannot be once Paul writes Romans 4. You can't ever imagine that circumcision was some sort of empty ceremony that's just been done away with because it really had no value to begin with. It was a sacrament of righteousness according to faith, which is the same thing of the sacrament of baptism today. It is a sign and seal of the righteousness according to faith, like circumcision was. That is how the two are connected. And once he says a seal, it's more than a sign. A seal has two possible meanings, just this word seal. One of them is something that locks up something. So in Revelation chapter 5, you have this scroll. It's called a book, but back then they were scrolls. 
that has seven seals on it. And the seals were primarily used to simply lock it up so that it wouldn't come un unraveled. You know, you have a scroll. Um, kids think about a roll of paper towels. You gotta seal it. So they would put wax seal on it to keep it from getting un un unraveled and unrolled. So it just locks things up. But another function of the term seal is to authenticate something. Now you should think about ownership and authentication. So you might have a uh, pottery set, um, you know, dinnerware, fancy handmade pottery dinnerware for a king. And on the underside of it, you would have the king's signet ring, ring impressed on the clay before it's fired so that what it really meant is, this is a king's plate, don't eat from it, <laughs> right? This is mine, how do I know that? Turn it over, oh my goodness. That's got the king's signet ring mark on it. It's the seal and it, it marks it as owned by the king himself. And by the way, the term Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 10 has that meaning. It's an unusual term, which means it's his own private supper. This is his own supper. This is his table. This is the bread and wine are his that he eats from and he shares it with you. That's his own signet ring on the Lord's Supper. So brothers and sisters in baptism, the signet ring of the Lord is being applied to the child, saying the Lord's belongs to the Lord. This is what God thinks about what's happening and what he does. He takes that seriously. He takes that ownership of this child seriously. Now, we all know that it's no guarantee of eternal salvation. Baptism does not regenerate in itself. It could. Election. Our infant children could be elect, like John the Baptist, leaping in the womb of his mother because he was already regenerated. And then any baptism he had, I don't know that he was baptized in scripture, but it, it would have been after that. But we are, we, are, we are nevertheless acting toward our children as children who belong to the Lord. So you don't treat them as pagans and outsiders. They're holy, 1 Corinthians 7. They belong here as members of the church, as people for whom this is the promise. This promise is for you and for our children and to as many as God will call from far off. They are heirs according to promise. And you raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord because they are in the Lord. They, they belong to him and you trust 
that they will be raised to only know the Lord as their Lord, the true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Master too. That's what you expect. And anything else is an aberration. But even then, they have the church to discipline them. Because one of the main goals of church discipline is to bring back the offender so that they would repent and return to the Lord, their Lord. So, brothers and sisters, God is sealing these three children today. These three children are being sealed by the baptism that they receive. So, Samuel and Leo and Ender, they are being sealed by the Lord because he says to them, I will be the God of your parents and of your offspring after you. And these three offspring are now being claimed by the Lord's. And he says to them, I am your God. Walk before me and be blameless. Just like he said to Abraham. Because I give you my covenant. Here is my covenant. You embrace it. You grow. And to embrace this covenant. Brothers and sisters, this is a wonderful privilege. It brings responsibility, but a wonderful privilege that we should thank God for, for our own baptism and the own gift of God to us, as well as to our children. It means that our prayers for our children must be urgent and constant. We should watch over them in this wicked world and pray for them and pray that God will embrace them and walk with them and be their God all of their days and then expect that. Not presume it, but expect it so that we can, we can raise our children confidently knowing that God has set his seal upon them. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Let us pray. We have received such great privilege, O oh Lord. We live in a time when we can look back to you fulfilling your covenant promise to Abraham that he would have a seed. Many are the seed, O oh Lord, spread through all the world today who can look to Father Abraham, circumcised and uncircumcised, and bless your holy name for, for fulfilling your promise. For there is one seed, as we learn in Galatians 3, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to make that promise effective, to make your covenant effective that you will be God to us and to our children after us, and that we are your people. Grant, O oh Lord, we may live our lives in the light of that truth, confidently, joyfully, expecting you to do great things through our children. May they be shining stars in this world for the gospel and for Christ. Though we face some hostility, may they always be salt and light in their generation and better Christians than we are, their parents. 
For we know our own failings, O Lord, but we know you are good and faithful. Bless us, O Lord, through our children, and fulfill your promise to them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.